a historic event. The European Union decided to open accession negotiations with Ukraine. This happened amid the tense situation on the front lines and Russia's terrorism of civilians. To become an EU member, Ukraine needs to fulfill EU accession conditions, and this will take time. Additionally, Ukraine and its international allies are enhancing the country's military defenses. You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, an English-language website about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Hermolonko. I am a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist, and chief editor of Ukraine World. I am joined by my colleagues Anastasia Heresimchuk and Darya Sinhayevska, journalist and analyst at Ukraine World, to discuss key events in and around Ukraine for the last week. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash Ukraine World. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at PayPal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. Another week has passed. A week of various very polar events. While we have the problems and the tense situations in the front lines, the diplomatic aspect was very bright and notable this week. Tasha, could you tell us what news are we going to analyze for our listeners today? For sure, Inesta. So today we are going to talk about the situation on the front line, Russian artillery strikes together with Ukraine's diplomatic achievements, its efforts to return children kidnapped by Russia, and many more. And uh, we traditionally start with the developments on the front line, so I know that Nastya has some uh, um, like observations on this particular topic, right? Yes, Dasha. Um, I, I have quite alarming news to start with today. Um, the last week was marked by the Russians going on the offensive along the whole front line. And now let's focus on separate directions and the actions that were taking place there. So in the Tavria direction, uh, Russians took uh, several waves of attacks. And uh, according to the reports of Ukraine's armed forces, Just for three days in a row, only three days, there were 80 assaults by Russians. So the amount of these attacks attacks has increased significantly. And uh, Ukrainian armed forces are really in difficult conditions and they have to repel numerous attacks and Russians are using all the uh, means to attack and they do not... Uh, do not care about their manpower. That is why the attacks are so massive and it's extremely difficult to hold the front line for Ukrainian armed forces. Uh, they were also intensified actions by Russians in Avdiivka, Marinka and Kupiansk, Kupiansk directions. Um, there were reports about Russians slightly moving forward near Bakhmut, Marinka and Avdiivka and uh, these three points are all in the Netsk region. Um, If we talk about Bakhmut direction, uh, near Bakhmut, Russians are trying to get to Chasifyar. It's a town which is extremely important, strategically important for Ukrainian armed forces. And if Russians get to this place, uh, they would disrupt logistic uh, chains of Ukrainians and also put the, um, the local military commands under threat. 
So Russians are using small groups tactics, and according to the observations of Ukrainian armed forces, they are already deploying newly mobilized forces. So it, it tells us about the huge losses from the Russian side. But anyway, despite these heavy losses, they keep replenishing the manpower and they uh, keep launching these attacks, uh, kind of mid-grinder attacks. Regarding Kupiansk, which is in the uh, Kharkiv region, uh, Russians are trying to take this city because it's extremely important logistics center. Uh, and if Russians reach there, it would become an important bridgehead to move uh, further to the west of Ukraine. That is why uh, controlling Kupiansk, not letting Russians get there, is strategically important for Ukrainian armed forces. And again, uh, our commanders, Ukrainian commanders, tell that uh, Russians already used the reserves of assault battalions, and they are redeployed to replace the heavy losses Russian army is uh, is carrying. Uh, so uh, the situation is indeed tense, but Ukrainian, d- despite some uh, advancements by Russians, still Ukrainian armed forces manage to hold the front line, even though it, it, it gets more and more difficult, especially taking into account that uh, Russians uh, have much more weaponry and uh, artillery shells than Ukrainians, and we need to get... Uh, to get uh, weaponry as soon as possible and as much as possible. So amid this situation, some may say that it's necessary to negotiate with Russia. So this tense situation leads to uh, losses and it is not clear how all the things will end up. But um, negotiations are not an option. Why not? First of all, uh, Russian aims are extremely clear and there is no need to to have this uh, detailed analysis of why these aims are clear. Uh, At the press conference, uh, the Russian president, the press conference took place last week, the Russian president told that the war in Ukraine will end when Russia reaches its goals. And their president uh, reaffirmed those uh, those very vague and unclear aims as denazification, demilitarization, and neutral status of Ukraine. So after the almost two years of war, nothing has changed, and Russia has these uh, vague excuses and justification of the, these horrors that they are causing to Ukraine. And it's like these statements, they make it clear that Russians are just not going to stop, and they want to take as much Ukrainian territories as possible and uh, kill as many Ukrainians as possible. So actually, Russia is not going for any negotiations. And as we talked uh, during one uh, of our interviews with the Ukrainian general Sergei Krivonos, um, like he told that Russians, uh, it doesn't make sense to talk about negotiations because Russians are, they they first of all don't want any negotiations. And um, another confirmation of um, malicious Russians' plans were published in the um, Bild, uh, German Bild magazine. And uh, of course, they uh, this journalistic investigation refers to intelligence data and some uh, secret sources, so we do not know 
uh, the validity of this information, but still it is a big, uh, big magazine, big newspaper. Uh, so reliability is of sources are questionable, but still if they publish such information, then uh, there are reasons to think that it may take place. So what uh, this article tells about, it tells that Russia is going to occupy more Ukrainian territories uh, in the period from 2024 to 2026. And uh, the ISW confirmed that these aims uh, correspond to current actions on the front lines, to Russians' current actions on the front lines. And um, when we talk about uh, these plans, like what are exactly these plans? Russians are going to take uh, the part of another part of the Parisia uh, region, Dnipropetrovsk and Kharkiv oblasts, including Kharkiv. Uh, and uh, they are also going to keep a tight hold on Kherson region, not to let Ukrainians get to Crimea. And in this case, not only Ukraine is under threat, uh, we talked with the head of the center uh, for a study of army conversion uh, and disarmament, it was Valentin Badrak, and according to assessment of this center, uh, even if uh, the war is on pause, Russians would need about two years, two two years and a half to uh, re reload itself to uh, get ready for new assaults and even to be ready to uh, attack NATO. And the heads of Polish special services, their assessments, they are close to this one. And they tell that Russia would be ready to attack the eastern flank of NATO in about three years. Uh, German representatives, they uh, their assessments are a bit different. They tell about six, ten years. But it looks like a miscalculation because uh, the Western, the representatives of Western Europe, they still, even though they have the full uh, information, they have uh, all the um, uh, in, all the data, they still uh, miscalculate the nature of of Russia. So Russians can put up with any losses and with any deprivations, but they uh, are able to attack. They are ready to sacrifice. And that's a big problem. And uh, when we talk about the Russian plans uh, to take more Ukrainian territories, as it's uh, reported in the built investigation, Russians are going to use the time-tested tactics. So they are going, they may intimidate negotiations with Ukraine while occupying more and more territories, like it was going on in the in the 2015. And uh According to the ISW, this sudden seize of help by Westerners to Ukraine may lead to uh, Ukraine's inability to repel the enemy. So it is a critical point for Ukraine, and uh, we really need to uh, get those uh, eight packages uh, to survive and to uh, let our state exist. However, according to the survey, uh, sociological survey, Ukrainians aren't going to give, give up even if no one is going to help us. So uh, more than 50% of Ukrainians support the continuation of uh, the liberation of Ukraine, uh, the continuation of repelling the Russian attacks, even if there are risks to lose more territories. 
And Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky told uh, that, yes, it would be extremely difficult to continue fighting without receiving help. And this war would look like, more look like the first days of the full-scale invasion. But Ukraine is not going to give up. And it's not insane. It's not about the lands. And the, our president is right here. Uh, this war, this fight is about people. Because there are Ukrainians on the occupied territories. And uh, they do not have life there. They are being raped. They are being tortured. And they are waiting to come back home. And we just cannot give up on them. Because it's the fates and lives of, of our fellow citizenships. Citizens. And um, I can't help say, saying that, but no one in the civilized world has a right to get tired of the war. And we Ukrainians understand it. And of course, we are receiving uh, vital for us help and the global economies, the Western economies are suffering. The companies who left uh, Russian markets are losing money. And there are consequences of this war. And the civilized world is supporting Ukraine. But still, after almost two years of the war, uh, it, it is getting more and more difficult for Ukraine to um, get this support. And there are more and more voices that stand against supporting Ukraine. And what I'm saying is addressed mostly to those powers who, who have doubts about supporting Ukraine, let's say so. So it's easy to speculate on what to do and how to rationally act when uh, your fellow citizens aren't dying of being brutally tortured or you aren't living under constant threats and a missile can hit your house any moment. And if your nation isn't going to be exterminated and the only way to survive and to preserve the nation is keeping fighting, even if, if you already can't. And uh, at the same time, amid all the problems, amid all the hardships, you need to prove the whole world that you deserve this help and you are begging for it while your cities are getting ruined and your people are being killed. And... The world is trying to rationalize everything. And yes, we, we live in such a world when it's necessary to be a realist and to be, it's necessary to be rational. Uh, but um, if look deeper, this strategy, not, let, not letting uh, Ukrainians fail, but keep Russia intact, this strategy has proven to be wrong. Because after the two after two years, almost two years of war, Russians man, managed to uh, increase their capabilities and their aggressive appetites are growing. And now imagine that Ukrainians get tired. Then who is going to hold the eastern flank? Yes, the majority thinks that Russia will not attack, and it may not, not now. But in case of Russia's victory, the Pandora's box will be opened, and dictatorships will have their hands free. And does anyone want to test what the consequences could be? But there are several positive moments. The last week brought us several uh, successful special operations conducted by the Ukrainian armed forces. So the security service of Ukraine, together with the armed forces on Ukraine, of Ukraine, conducted a special military operation, as a result of which uh, the equipment at the airfield in Rostov region was damaged. We don't know the details uh, of the consequences of these special operations uh, operation and what uh, exact equipment was damaged. Uh, but according to the uh, information 
Ukrainian side presented. The uh, they were. Uh, 20 jets uh, Su-34 at this airfield, three radar station and some other equipment. So we are waiting for the details of the, of the results of this operation. And another uh, special operation uh, took place. It, it was already, it was, um, it happened in a cyberspace. Uh, so Ukra- Ukrainian cyber specialists attack, attacked 15 websites of uh, Russian enterprises uh, that uh, to take part in the engineering support of the Russian armed forces. And it was the present to Russians uh, for their uh, day of Russian strategic missile forces. Thank you, Nastya. You, you made a, a very right point on that uh, dangerous thing going on in case uh, Ukrainians uh, are fed up with, the, with the resisting this uh, monstrous dictatorship and there's the vulnerability of eastern flung. And at the same time, as far as we know, Russia keeps uh, terrorizing and barraging all over Ukraine and uh, maybe you can dwell on this. Yes, unfortunately, that's true. And Russian attacks, they do not stop. And even though uh, we do not tell about these attacks at, uh, during our every episode, still the attacks take place. And the last week was marked by the, um, the very, by very massive missile and uh, drone attacks. And uh, the biggest attack took place in Kiev on the 13th of December. Uh, Kiev was attacked by 10 ballistic missiles. Just imagine 10 ballistic missiles uh, late at night when people were still in their beds. And first explosions took place uh, before the air raid alert went off. So uh, it, it was really a terrible attack and 53 people uh, were wounded, 20 of which were hospitalized. Uh, four districts of the city uh, got damaged and the residential buildings, municipal objects were, um, they got different scales of damage. The youngest uh, person who was wounded was a five years old child. Uh, the good news is that all the ballistic missiles were shut, shut down. So the Ukrainian air defense works perfectly well. But still, even though all the missiles were shut down, there are debris. And if they fall down, they can cause heavy damage uh, and they even can kill people. Another point of uh, very precise attention of Russians was Staro-Konstantinov. It is a town in the in the. Khmelnytsky region uh, in the western Ukraine. And uh, this this place was uh, attacked with hypersonic missile Kinjal. And uh, why Russians are showing this kind of attention to Staro-Konstantinov? It's because the important air base is located there. Um, massive drone attacks uh, were launched on Odessa region, and this week uh, there were three waves of these kind of attacks. And it was the 12th of December, and several people were wounded, and unfortunately uh, one of uh, those who were wounded uh, died several days later. Uh, on the night of the 14th December, uh, there was a massive drone attack which lasted for about seven hours, and 32 drones were launched. Again, all the drones were shut down, but the debris 
of these uh, drones uh, caused, caused uh, severe damage to uh, the buildings. 11 buildings were damaged and the dormitory. Uh, 11 people were wounded, among uh, which among whom three children. And uh, another attack uh, took place on the 17th of December and it lasted for five hours and unfortunately one person was killed. So uh, why I mentioned all this, uh, the lengths of those attacks, seven, seven hours or five hours, that is because of the new tactics um, used by Russians. Now they are using new routes to launch the drones. The routes are longer and every time uh, they uh, they change it like 15, 20 kilometers to, uh, on different sides from w- what was the usual route. Uh, that is how Russians are trying to, um, to overcome the air defense of Ukraine and also identify the exact location of our air defense. So uh, luckily, and thanks to the mastery of our uh, warriors and thanks to the support of our Western partners who supply us the air defense systems, Ukraine can uh, handle these attacks. But unfortunately, even if there are 100% of shutdowns, shutdowns, um, unfortunately, there are uh, wounded people, there are killed people, and there is damage to the infrastructure and economy of Ukraine. But coming back uh, or getting aside from the uh, war uh, war news, uh, from negative news, let's pass to the uh, diplomatical uh, diplomatical dimension, diplomatic dimension. And uh, the last week was marked with a historic event: uh, the um, negotiations on the uh, Ukraine succession to the EU w- were opened officially, and Dasha has details to tell you about. Yes, we we are moving to more exciting news. Uh, the European Council indeed has given the green light to start negotiations on Ukraine's accession to the EU. And this is an amazing success for all Ukrainians who are standing firm and are fighting for uh, common e- European values. And earlier we had a podcast on why Ukraine's way uh, to the integration is a long run. But now uh, we are in count with the question, so what happens next? In the future, Ukraine will have to negotiate accession with both European institutions and member states. Before the stage begins, the European Commission must conduct its own analysis or what is known screening process of the compliance of uh, Ukrainian legislation with uh, the EU law. Based on these findings, as well as on uh, the current uh, political, economic, social situation in Ukraine, Brussels will formulate the conditions, or what is known as benchmarks, for the accession. The negotiations will be closed when basically Ukraine implements each section of the quiz and fulfills the conditions. Subsequently, the European Commission must provide an official opinion that Ukraine meets the Copenhagen criteria what is known as accession criteria of uh, stability of institutions, a functional market economy, and uh, the ability to fulfill the obligations of uh, an EU member. Then the European Council must decide on the candidate country's admission to the United Europe. And after that, uh, representatives of Ukraine, um, EU institutions, and all member states must sign an accession agreement. 
and then it must be ratified by all the parliaments of member states. Only uh, after doing that, Ukraine become a member of the European Union. That is why the the way um, is long, but uh, it works. And another important thing going on within the EU is the adoption of the 12th package of European sanctions uh, against uh, Russia. As of uh, 16th of December, Austria is still blocking the adoption of uh, the 12th package of EU sanctions against Russia, despite the decision of the European Council. And it is noted that uh, uh, Austrian Chancellor voted the um, like he vetoed the sanctions, which uh, have not yet been legally adopted at the last minute, because answering the questions from the press about sanctions against Russia uh, on uh, Friday, the 15th of December, he said that he welcomed the EU summit communicator that stated that it has to be um, adopted. And basically, the uh, underlying reason is that Austria demanded that Trifazen Bank International be removed from the Ukrainian list of war sponsors in exchange for the unblocking of the um, 12th package of European sanctions against Russia. And after the start of the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, Trifazen Bank International announced that it intended to leave the Russian market and two options were considered either the sale of Russian assets or their separation from the main group. And later it became known that the Austrian financial group planned to spin off its assets by the end of 2023. But if we take a look at 2022, this bank made a profit of about 3.8 billion euros. The new package of European uh, sanctions against Russia may include experts of welding machines, chemicals, defense technologies, software uh, licensing. In addition, an embargo on uh, Russian diamonds will be imposed. And it's pivotal that each new round of sanctions strengthen the previous ones. So at this point, I want to highlight the most important developments we had during each round of sanctions. For example, in the first sanctions package, the European Union has compelled a list of 336 members of the Russian parliament who voted in favor of recognizing the independence of a terror, uh, terrorist organizations, DPR, LPR, uh, which stand for the Donetsk People's Republic and Luhansk People's Republic. Uh, these are terrorist organizations supported by Russia, Syria, and North Korea, as well as three banks, Bank Russia, Promsvezbank, and Web, and the International Research Agency. The second package adds other key individuals like uh, Russian president, foreign minister, member... Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, I mean, members of the Security Council who supported the recognition of the so-called um, republics. In other way, we see that the third sanctions package also includes sectoral businessmen. So this circle is enlarging, uh, including those from the oil, banking and financial sectors, as well as government officials, high-ranking military officers and propagandists. In total, 26 um, editions were made to the previous lists. The fourth package of measures expanded the scope to include 15 more oligarchs and businessmen of the regime, lobbyists and companies operating in the aviation, military, shipbuilding and engineer sectors. 
On April 8th, we had, uh, on, I mean, uh, back in 2022, we had a uh, um, new package, which uh, was fifth at that time of sanctions, which included a ban on imports of coal and other solid fossil fuels from Russia, Russian vessels entering EU ports, imports of other goods such as timber, cement, seafood, liquor, exports of aviation fuel and other goods to Russia, and deposits to crypto wallets. The sixth package of sanctions was reactive to the war criminals who staged uh, the uh, Bucha massacre and the siege of uh, Mariupol. More banks were disconnected from the SWIFT uh, payment system, which are Swabbank, Sberbank, I'm I'm sorry, Russian Agricultural Bank, uh, the Belarusian Bank for Development and Reconstruction. So we see that after each round, this uh, circle of sanctions purse person, people, and entities um, are enlarging. And uh, on uh, the seventh package list, we see um, more 54 more individuals and 10 legal entities to the sanction list, including the mayor of Moscow, military leaders, politicians, uh, nationalist motorcycle club Night Wolves, the companies involved in the theft of Ukrainian grain, a ban on uh, imports of gold and jewelry, which is Russia's second most important export um, category after energy. Um, And uh, when we have a look at the eighth package, it included um, sanctions on uh, pro-Russian Ukraine's ex-president Viktor Yanukovych and his son, as well as individuals involved in illegal referendums in several regions of uh, Ukraine and uh, individuals from the defense sector. The ninth package of sanctions included additional individual restrictions against 200 individuals associated with the Russian armed forces and uh, those involved in Russia's missile attacks on Ukrainian civilians. Also, a broadcasting ban on four Russian media outlets uh, was extended. The EU adopted the 10th sanction package with uh, more officials uh, who were involved in the deportation of Ukrainian children and uh, individuals involved in the disinformation war, as well as uh, individuals of Iranian origin who supported uh, Russian aggression and members of, uh, at that time, Wagner uh, mercenary group. And we see that in June this year, the Council uh, adopted an 11th pack of economic and individual sanctions against Russia aimed at strengthening existing EU restrictions and stopping their uh, circumvention. To combat sanctions circumvention, the EU is stepping up bilateral and multilateral cooperation with third countries and uh, technical assistance. So to minimize the risk of sanctions uh, circumvention, the EU has banned the transit through Russia of more goods and technologies that could be used for military, aviation or space purposes, and um, also uh, like missile fuel uh, uh, was included in this list. The EU also expanded the list of prohibited goods that uh, could contribute to the technological improvement of Russia's defense and security sector, including electronic electronic components, semiconductor materials, equipment for the production and testing of electronic integrated circuits. And um, I recall all the cycles of the sanctions as the impact of sanctions should be considered not only since the start of the full-scale invasion, 
but also since uh, 2014, when the most severe sanctions against Russia's military industrial complex were imposed to response to Russia's annexation of Crimea. And they were related to the fact that first, any cooperation in this matter is sanctionable, and second, the export of military and space class chips uh, was banned. So for you to know, there are four classes of electronics. The highest one is uh, space class, which is designed to for a spacecraft to uh, withstand the rigors of space, such as radiation, extreme conditions, and temperature fluctuations. Then it goes military class, which is designed for military equipment and carriers um, heavy loads, such as missiles and tanks. The industrial class serves uh, various industries and most ensure continuous operations, whereas the civil class is the lowest category with no expert restrictions. And these chips are widely available for purchase, even on platforms such as uh, AliExpress, which is um, approachable for each of us. Uh, Also, all cooperation agreements with the Western uh, defense industry were suspended. For example, the purchase of Mistral helicopter carriers from France, the purchase of warships for expeditionary uh, landing operations, um, a proposed contract for the production of Italian Iveco armed uh, vehicles and the Armata tank projects. All these were cancelled because Western companies withdrew from them. So that's uh, the, that's the answer that, uh, yes, sanctions indeed works, work, but... Uh, they need some time to uh, get its full strength. And um, the EU was not the only actor who was uh, seeking for the ways how to counter Russian aggression and the Russian threat together with Ukrainians, right? So uh, the the USA and Ukraine are looking for a new strategy for the conducting war in 2024. Yes. Am I right? Yes. Uh, The US and Ukrainian military commanders are developing a new strategy for waging war with Russia, which Ukraine could follow in early 2024. According to the New York Times, the United States insists on a strategy that envisages Ukraine focusing on defense and holding its current positions while, while building up its forces and weapons stockpiles over the course of the year. Meanwhile, Ukraine's representatives are seeking to go on the offensive, either on the ground or with the help of long-range strikes, in particular Kiev is studying a strategy based on the successful deep strikes in Crimea last autumn. At the same time, Kiev sees the east as the main direction of the fighting, while Washington sees the south. Fearing heavy losses, the Ukrainian commander um, divided its forces, but instead of uh, breakthrough, as uh, the New York Times uh, wrote, there is a difficult situation now. So according to US and Ukrainian officers, uh, the allies hope to work out the details of the new military strategy in January 2024 during a series of war games to be held in Wiesbaden, which is in Germany. And um, as far as I mentioned that the EU and the globe overall sees the problem and the problem is not um, it is also uh, covering the uh, like side effects of uh, Russia's aggression, which is um, ecocides, herbicides, uh, um, like strikes not only on civilians but on culture 
And in this case, we, we saw that sanctions work and they uh, sanction those who, um, for example, kidnapping Ukrainian children. And as far as we know, um, as of the morning of December 5th, uh, more children were, uh, as of the morning, I'm sorry, December 12th, uh, more children were returned home from the uh, Russian Federation. Am I right? That's true. And uh, it was one of the uh, past weeks over the past week because three more Ukrainian children got back home. And uh, it was, a, I would say it was a special operation because the returning of every Ukrainian child back home is a special operation, operation extremely difficult, extremely long and expensive. So three more Ukrainian children uh are home now. Two of them were taken back from the occupied territories and one was uh, hold uh, on the Russian territory and now they are reunited with their families. And uh, the Ukraine as a state managed to do it with the help of Qatar who is in, an intermediary in this process. And let me remind you that since the beginning of the full-scale invasion, Ukraine, uh, the governmental bodies and the uh, charitable foundations, civil society, uh, managed to get back uh, home 380 Ukrainian children. Yes, you may think that it's not such a big number, but actually 380 children is considerable uh, figure regarding how difficult the process is and uh, how hard Russia is trying to make the process impossible by using various legal and illegal means. And, uh, but unfortunately, according to Ukrainian officials, more than 20,000 of Ukrainian children are held in Russian territory. And uh, these are only confirmed case, cases. So these children were detected and officially registered as deported in Ukraine. The real number may count to up to hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian children. And uh, that's a real um, crime. It's a, an act of genocide because Ukrainian children are taking from Ukrainian territory to Russian territory with the aim of erasing their Ukrainian identity. And we know for sure that these things are happening in Russia. Ukrainian children are force, forcefully uh, imposed to Russian educational system, which is completely distorted and creates a distorted image of history. Uh, they do not have access to Ukrainian side of education. I mean, they cannot study Ukrainian language, literature, culture, and history. And what is worse, Ukrainian children are taken to special, uh, special camps when they are uh, undergoing so-called re-education. Uh, they are forcefully taught uh, Russian history, Russian language, Russian culture. And what is even worse here, that they are undergoing military training. So what is going on in this regard is just horrifying. And uh, Ukrainian children are deprived of their home, of their childhood, and of their roots. And uh, we hope that the whole world, uh, together with Ukraine, will manage uh, to hold accountable those who are responsible and the tribunals uh, tribunals will make uh, just verdicts against Russian war criminals and Russian leadership. These were all news for today. Thank you for listening to us. And we are already starting to prepare uh, new, interesting and important news for you. Thank you.
this was a podcast explaining Ukraine by Ukraine World, a multilingual website about Ukraine. This was a conversation between my colleagues Anastasia Heresimchuk and Darya Sanhayevska, journalist and analyst at Ukraine World. They discussed key events in and around Ukraine for the last week. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.